following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. So good, as always, to see you guys that are here in the room with us and also Welcome to all of our spring breakers who are joining us online today. Uh, We're really glad that you're here. I also want to add my words to what Jared said before about welcoming those who are new to IBC. If it's your first time or you're just sort of new in the life of our church. You know, it's been amazing to see a bunch of new folks come in over the course of just the first couple of months of this year. I've had a chance to meet a bunch of you uh, at our Explorer class that'll come up again here at the end of this month. But it's just really wonderful to have you here with us. And I know not only do I want to extend my welcome to all of you who are new, but I know those of you that have been around a while would love to welcome the new folks as well. So can we just say thank you and welcome to the people that are joining us? Yes. We are, as Jared mentioned, in the third week of a teaching series called Beneath the Surface, where we're looking beneath the surface in our lives, where we're exploring some some habits, some, some tendencies. We're, we're exploring some common spiritual maladies that affect many of us in a world like ours, navigating circumstances like ours, in relationships like ours. And last week, we talked about that common spiritual malady, the way, the way in which it can become toxic when our lives are just so busy. And we heard at the end of the sermon last week some words from Jesus who who said in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I want to just invite you here at the beginning of the sermon this morning to do a little bit of soul searching. When you hear those words from Jesus, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. When When you think about those three key words, weary burdened, rest. I wonder, when you think about your life right now, your circumstances right now, your relationships right now, I wonder which of those words you would reach for to describe this season. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Barry, you're going to ask me that today, right? On the day that we all lost an hour of sleep for daylight saving time. Of course I'm weary. And trust me, nobody feels that more than the preacher who's got to get up here on Daylight Savings Time Sunday. But but I I want to probe deeper beyond just how you're feeling this morning to really reflect on our lives this season. For many of us, the word that we would reach for first would not be rest. For many of us, perhaps the words that we would reach for would be weary, burdened. And I just want to say right off the bat this morning that if that's you, you're in good company. That there's many who are navigating right now a season of life where they are weary and burdened. That that if I was to ask you to be really honest, how are you doing? There would be many of you I know who would say, I'm exhausted. A New York Times article in 2021 talked about parents and the way in which many parents are experiencing this kind of deep soul-level exhaustion. According to the article, 66% of working parents met the criteria for parental burnout. 
which they describe as a non-medical term that basically means that they were so physically and mentally depleted that they may feel like bad parents or emotionally pull away from their children. 66% of working parents meet the criteria for parental burnout. Of course, this extends far beyond merely parents. Many are experiencing more and more the, the, the symptoms, the signs of burnout. And it even is true of our teenagers and our young adults. An article from 2018 talked about Gen Z and the fact that 70% of Gen Z says that anxiety and depression are significant problems for their peers. And of course, that was before our teenagers and our young adults lived through a global pandemic. Many of us find ourselves walking through a time, through a season, through circumstances where we feel weary and burdened. If that's you this morning, you're in good company. It's really important to note that when, when Jesus issues these words, come to me all who are weary and burdened, he is presuming that many of his hearers would in fact feel weary and burdened. And maybe if that's you this morning, it's just even helpful for you to know that even Jesus himself at times felt weary and burdened. Uh, Mark tells a story in Mark chapter six about a time in which Jesus had sent his disciples out on a short-term mission project, and then they all come back to begin reporting what happened while they were away. But then the crowd uh, comes around, and, and, and they are busy doing ministry. Mark says that they were so busy engaged in this ministry that they didn't even have time to eat. Anybody know what that busy feels like, right? Well, you don't even have time to eat. Jesus sometimes was busy. And there's a good kind of busy, a busy when you are giving yourself to things that really matter, but you're not giving yourself in such a way that it crowds out space for you to give attention to God and to your own soul and to the core relationships around you. In that sense, Jesus was often good, busy, giving himself for meaningful things, but not in such a way that crowded out the attention to, him, to himself, to his God, and to those core relationships around him. And yet Jesus felt weary. Even John chapter four, that famous story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, in the setup to that story, John says, Jesus, tired as he was from the journey. The one who could say, I am the bread from heaven. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd could also say, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm burdened. If you feel weary and burdened this morning, you are in good company. But what I want us to explore is what the way of Jesus has to offer us when we find ourselves feeling weary and burdened. If you are weary and burdened this morning, it doesn't mean you're weak. It means you're human. But what do we have from the way of Jesus that offers us some hope and some direction well, I want to look more deeply with you at this passage from Matthew chapter 11. So if you have a Bible or if you have it on your device, I want to just invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be looking at just a few sentences here. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. And here we see those words from Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you, in case you missed it the first time, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. 
And this is one of those passages that we come back to time and time again around here because it's one of those passages that is just core to who Jesus is and what he offers us. And it's also a passage that we come back to because oftentimes we're not so great at hearing and responding to this invitation of Jesus. And so I wanna just walk us through practically what does this mean for us today? And Jesus here uses a metaphor. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke, of course, was a, a, a wooden instrument that would be used to attach two oxen together to be able to pull a load, whether that be a plow or a cart. And so Jesus is employing this metaphor about two oxen. They're walking side by side, sharing the load, sharing the burden. But this metaphor that Jesus used was common in the first century world for a rabbi to use with regard to the call to be his disciple, his, his telmadim, his, his mathetes, his learner, his follower. The rabbi would talk about, take my yoke, and the yoke was the metaphor used for the rabbi's teaching, the rabbi's way of life, the, the rabbi's vision of the good life. It, it pointed to the, to the rabbi's um, habits and uh, patterns and practices and, and choices the rhythms of the way of life, to live into that rabbi's vision of the good life. And Jesus says, take my yoke, my vision for how to live, how to flourish as a human. Now, here's the deal. I think that, in fact, all of us have a yoke. Right? All of us live by some kind of yoke, some kind of vision of the good life, some kind of, of, of understanding about what are the, the habits, the, the rhythms, the practices, the, the choices that we make to achieve the life that we long for, the life that we want. We all have some yoke. The question is just what yoke are we going to live by? What vision of the good life captures our hearts, our affections, our allegiance, and our way of life? And I think the question perhaps for those of us who feel weary and burdened, is how's that yoke that you're living working out for you? Jesus says, take my yoke, my vision for the good life and the habits, the practices, the choices that come along with that. And he says, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now, Please note, very important here, Jesus does not say, take my yoke upon you and your life will be easy. He doesn't say, take my yoke upon you and your, your circumstances will be easy. He doesn't say, take my yoke upon you and your relationships will be easy. He doesn't promise that at all. He says, in the midst of all of the complicated reality of your life and your relationships and your circumstances, take my yoke. Because it's easy. It's not burdensome. When Jesus uses this metaphor of an easy yoke, he's pointing back again to that picture of the two oxen. He's saying, let me bear your load along with you. Walk with me. Trust in me. I will bear your load. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus is saying um, that my yoke isn't do more, try harder, dig deeper. My yoke is you learning to trust me and letting me shoulder your load. It's don't try to bear all the weight alone on your own shoulders. 
Instead, it's give it to me, trust in me, walk with me. One of my favorite books that I've read in the last couple of years, it's written by a, a Christian therapist named Andy Kolber. And she's writing about this tendency that we, that we all have oftentimes in life when we're going through difficulty, hardship, um, anxiety, the, 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 the tendency that we have to try to white knuckle our way through. Right, that, that mentality just says, I can do this, right? To dig deeper, try harder, do more. And uh, I love the title of her little book, which is Try Softer. Right, because so oftentimes when we're going through those, those circumstances, we think, I just gotta try harder. I gotta I white knuckle my way through. And the invitation of Jesus is try softer. My yoke is easy. Learn to trust in me and walk with me and let me shoulder your load. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And then he says, and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble of heart. And it seems to me there's a couple of ways that we learn from, from people. We, we learn um, either by listening to their words or we learn by watching their life. And again, that was the whole idea of a rabbi with his disciples, not just with Jesus. It was just the reality of the first century world that there were rabbis who had a yoke, a vision for the good life, invited disciples to go everywhere they went, to hear everything they said, to watch everything they do, so as to become like the rabbi and carry on the rabbi's work in the world. And so Jesus says, learn from me, hear my words, and watch my life, and I'll show you what the easy yoke looks like. And I think if we look at the life of Jesus across the pages of the Gospels, what we find is what we might call the rhythms of the easy yoke. And I want to unpack with you three of those rhythms from the life of Jesus. There's, there's more in the Gospels to Jesus' practices of what the life of the easy yoke looks like. And yet, I think these three are really core, especially for those of us who are weary and burdened. But, but before we talk about the rhythms of the easy yoke, I want to just, um, well, I just want to be honest with you about the fact that I am rhythmically challenged, right? That there is no rhythm in this body. I, you just need to know that about your pastor. I am so rhythmically challenged. And one of the places this, this just became glaringly apparent a few years ago, 2019, I had the opportunity to travel with a few other IBCers uh, to Ye, South Sudan. And we were there in Ye with some of our long-term ministry partners and uh, and it felt like when we rolled into town, like the whole town gathered together to welcome us. And there were kids and there was music and they were all dancing and, and we got off the bus and they're dancing all around us and then they grab our hands and we're supposed to dance with them. And, and I, the last thing that I wanted to do was dishonor them by not dancing with them. But I also didn't want to dishonor them by dancing with them, if you know what I mean, right? And I got to tell you, the thing that I was terrified about is that somebody had a camera and that there would be footage of this that would live on beyond this moment. So far, four years later, the footage hasn't surfaced, but uh, right, I am profoundly, rhythmically challenged. And it seems to me that that is a, a common reality for many of us in the spiritual life, right? that, that our lives are just out of rhythm. That our lives get caught up in the rhythms of the, the culture around us. That, that we find ourselves um, living by the, the, the rhythms of the cultural yoke as opposed to the yoke of the, the, the easy yoke 
of the way of Jesus. And, uh, and so Jesus invites us, take these rhythms that we see in his way of life. And the first of those rhythms that I want us to think about together is what we might call the rhythm of lonely places. Right? The rhythm of lonely places, what the Christian spiritual tradition has referred to as the discipline of solitude. In Luke chapter five, verse 15, Jesus in Luke five is at the height of his ministry, at the height of his popularity. There's crowds that are crowding around him all the time. In Luke five fifteen, Luke writes, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. But Jesus is in great demand. Jesus is at the height of his popularity. And yet we see this rhythm in Jesus' life of withdrawing to lonely places, places that he could be alone and quiet before God. The practice of solitude. The Greek word here translated as lonely place in Luke 5 is the word eremos. It's sometimes translated lonely place, solitary place. Sometimes that word desert or wilderness. And you see this time and time and time again in Jesus' life and ministry that he withdraws to the lonely place so that he can stay grounded in his identity and centered on his purpose. I have uh, kind of three lonely places in my life, three places that I go to be alone and to be with God. And I'm not going to tell you what any of them are because I don't want to see any of you there. (laughs) But we all need to carve out some places, some spaces in our life where we can withdraw from the chaos of our lives, of our circumstances, of our relationships, where we can be alone and be with God. And of course, for some of us, we can't necessarily get in a car and drive somewhere to get to the lonely place. And so we need to just, even in our own homes, find those places, those times where we can carve out to be alone and to be with God. The rhythm of withdrawal to the lonely place. Second, we see in the life of Jesus, what we might call the rhythm of quiet moments. This is kind of a companion rhythm, the, the, the discipline of solitude, and then what the tradition has called the discipline of silence. I always love the line from Will Rogers, where Will Rogers once said, never miss a good chance to shut up. Isn't that a, isn't that a great line? Never miss a good chance to shut up. Now, I gotta tell you, every time I use that line, I have nightmares that some kid is gonna wind up using that line with mom or dad and blame it on me, Right? <laughs> Mom, Pastor Barry said, never miss a good chance to shut up. Do not use that. Or you blame it on Will Rogers, not on me, okay? Um, but, but the fact is that we oftentimes just need some quiet. Our lives are so filled with words and noise and distraction that we just need quiet to stop talking, to start listening. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, the Lord speaks through the prophet, and this is what he said. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. That last little kind of haunting line just reminds me of the fact that so oftentimes, when we find ourselves weary and burdened, 
right? We find ourselves in circumstances and we just feel exhausted. How oftentimes the things that we need most are the first things to go. And oftentimes the things that we need least are the first things that we reach for. And so we let go of practices that would actually give us life. And, and, and the Lord says to his people, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. See, quietness requires trust because there's nothing less productive, less controlling than just sitting in silence. Perhaps we could paraphrase Isaiah 30, 15 this way. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. Try softer. Or as the psalmist puts it, be still and know that I am God. Or one preferred translation for me is cease striving and know that I am God. Or, or we might say, be quiet and know that I am God. Jesus practiced the rhythm of these quiet moments with God. And quietness and trust is your strength. Be with me and be quiet and just listen. Now, I think the problem for many of us when it comes to the practice of silence is that we're not always comfortable with it because we're not always sure we would like what we find in the quiet. Because in the quiet, in the silence, we have to face ourselves and face God and face ourselves before God. And yet this is what we need to find our strength renewed. Lonely places, quiet moments, and then finally restful days. The, the, the rhythms of the easy yoke involve the rhythm of restful days. This is the spiritual discipline of Sabbath keeping. And Jesus is a good first century Jewish man would have practiced regularly this rhythm of Sabbath keeping, a day of rest set aside, protected. And it's strange to me a little bit that, that the command to keep Sabbath is, is one of the 10 commandments, one of the big 10. And yet it is the one that I think more than any other, we feel complete freedom to really not pay any attention to oftentimes whatsoever. Now there is an important theological dimension to that. And that is the fact that the Sabbath was the sign of the Old Testament covenant. It was required for Old Covenant, Old, Old Testament believers as a sign of their covenant with God. And so it was for them a command, a requirement. And that is never reiterated as a command for new covenant believers. We're never told as followers of Jesus that we are required to keep Sabbath. But I think when we focus on requirement, we kind of miss the point, right? There's this scene in, in Mark chapter two where where Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain fields and they're hungry, it's the Sabbath day. And they're walking through the fields and in that first century context, the religious establishment had established all kinds of boundaries around Sabbath keeping, all kinds of extra biblical rules to try to make sure that people didn't violate the Sabbath. And so in their understanding, for Jesus and his disciples to pick grain on the Sabbath was a violation. And so they looked at Jesus and said, not a Sabbath keeper. But Jesus says something really interesting to them at the end of that little passage in Mark 2, 27. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. What Jesus is saying to them is Sabbath is for your good. It's for your flourishing. 
If we focus on requirement, we miss the point. Jesus is saying, you guys got your creation story all backwards. That it's as though the religious authorities kind of had this creation story. They said, you know, God's sitting up in heaven and he says, you know what we need around here? What we need around here are some rules. And so God makes a set of rules in his image. And then God has a second thought. You know what we need now? We need some people to keep the rules. And so God makes people to keep the rules. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The Sabbath was made for humanity, not humanity for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is given for your good, for your flourishing. If you focus on requirement, you miss the point. Sabbath is intended to be a day of rest, and God has woven this into the fabric of creation. Right? You go all the way back to the book of Genesis. First day, God works. Second day, God works. Third day, God works. Fourth day, God works. Fifth day, God works. Sixth day, God works. Seventh day, God rests. He's woven this rhythm into the fabric of creation. And if we aren't practicing a day of rest, then we're out of rhythm with the rhythm of creation. Sabbath is for your good. Now, I think it's important to recognize what Sabbath is really all about. It's not just a day off to kind of get things done. Sabbath is really about restorative rest. Right? What is restorative for you? What restores you physically, spiritually, relationally, emotionally? That's what Sabbath is intended to be all about. It's very different than just a day to relax. Re relaxing is great. There's nothing wrong with relaxing, but there is a difference between relaxing and resting. If I want to relax, all I need is an adult beverage, a recliner, and a remote control, and I can relax just fine. Thank you very much. And there's nothing wrong with that fundamentally. But I don't walk away from that feeling restored, feeling spiritually, emotionally, and relationally physically rejuvenated. Ironically, it takes a little more effort and intentionality really to engage in restorative rest. And so what are the things that restore you, that put life and vitality back into you? One author I really like, a guy named Steve Cuss, uh, talks about a very practical tool called the life-giving list, where he literally makes a list that he, that he keeps and continues to update. Or what are the things in my life that are most life-giving for me? And he just wants to keep a list, and it can be everything from very simple and mundane to really large and kind of aspirational. But he talks about the idea that like three things on his list are getting outside, taking his dog for a walk, and holding his wife's hand. So if he could do all three of those at one time, it's three things off of his life-giving list. But, but do you see the idea? Just really recognizing what are the things that put life back into me, that put vitality back into me? What are the things that restore me spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally? And to fill a whole day with those things. For me, the, the practice of Sabbath keeping is Fridays because as New Covenant believers, we're not bound to a particular day, but there's still something that's powerful about this practice of Sabbath keeping. And so again, Fridays are my day that I just carve out as a day of rest and restoration. What are the things that are restorative for you? I think here we find what we might call the rhythms of the easy yoke. If you're feeling weary and burdened, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, 
rhythms of lonely places, quiet moments, and restful days. And I wonder if you just take an opportunity to examine your life, how you do it at lonely places, quiet moments, restful days. You know, last week when I preached about busyness, I had a friend who knows me well, loves me well, come up to me and ask me, Barry, what's it like to preach a message like that about something that's very close to kind of how you're living right now? And uh, it's a good question. But what I was able to say, and I've said to a couple other people this week, is that I feel like right now in my life, I am working harder than I ever have before. But I'm also resting better than I ever have before. And that's not to say there aren't times that I feel over busy or I feel weary and burdened, but, but I am engaged right now in a, a, a way of life that, that has me working harder than ever, but resting better than ever. But I got to tell you the truth, that hasn't always been the case. And I can look back just six years ago at a time in my life where, where I recognized that I was dancing dangerously close to the edge of burnout, where I was experiencing um, a work overload, where I was experiencing relational tension, where I was living with sort of physical disregard. I wasn't taking care of my body and where I was suffering from spiritual neglect. And I was dangerously close to the edge of burnout. And I can't help but wonder if any of that resonates with any of you. Circumstances where you're feeling workload pressure that feels a bit overwhelming. Relational tension that weighs you down. Physical disregard, not taking care of our bodies, not sleeping well, eating well, and spiritual neglect, failing to live into the rhythms of the easy yoke. And if anybody here can relate to that, once again, to hear the words of Jesus, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, from gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your soul because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Maybe what some of us this morning need to hear is if you're weary and burdened, you're in good company. And the solution isn't do more, or try harder, or dig deeper. Let's try softer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, our Savior. The one who came into the world to, to rescue us. And God, we thank you that, that because of his sacrifice, we can trust in what he has done for us. And we can experience the promise of forgiveness and the hope of eternal life. And Lord, we pray this morning for anybody who might be here that, that has never come to that place of trusting in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life, that today they may look to him as savior. And God, we recognize that for all of us here, Jesus is our savior, but he's more than merely our savior. He is our rabbi who has shown us a vision of the good life. He showed us the way to live the rhythms of the easy yoke. And so I pray for any of us here this morning who feel weary and burdened that we would 
learn more and more what it means to trust him, not only with our eternal destiny, but to trust him with today, to trust him with this season, to trust him in these circumstances, to take up his easy yoke. We thank you. And this morning, Lord, before we come to the elements of communion, we pause to take a moment of reflection of our own hearts to see if there be anything there that we need to lay before you before we partake of these elements this morning. And we thank you once again, Lord, for your extravagant grace that you lavish upon us in the Lord Jesus. And we pray all of this in his name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.